excited to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, during this season. And I'm just so thankful that uh, we can meet and gather again in person. And I know that the world is starting to shut down again. And so we are praying for all those who are battling this COVID season, those who have COVID, those who are um, in isolation because of COVID, and everything else. And as we celebrate Christmas and the lights and, and the light of Jesus, sometimes it can seem as a little dark and gloomy, right? But hopefully by the end of this morning that we can all be encouraged that even though it may be dark or cloudy, the sun still shines. Amen? So, I want to kind of catch you guys up and then step up what we're going to be talking about this morning. And if you're new here, we're in a series called The Promises of Christmas. And we're looking at the Old Testament and what they believed Jesus was going to be. The promise that they said would be Jesus. And Jesus encompassed many of the pieces, or actually all the pieces that the Old Testament was pointing to. So the first week we talked about Jesus as a priest. But the system in the Old Testament, they had a high priest, they had a person who would go into the holies of holies once a year to make a sacrifice. So the relationship with God would be restored by an animal sacrifice. And Jesus is a high priest. He not only um, gave a sacrifice, he was a sacrifice and the curtain tore down. And now we can be with Jesus. We can be with God. This relationship is restored. And then last week we talked about Jesus was predicted to be a prophet. And not just any prophet, but a prophet like Moses. So we went back and looked at Moses, and when you heard the word deliverance, salvation, redemption, people automatically thought of Moses in the Exodus story, how he freed the Israelites of 400 years of slavery. And guess what? Jesus has freed us from the power and the penalty of sin and death. And the question is, now that we've been given freely, what do we do with that freedom? And the challenge is that we are called to give freely. And so you guys all got money, and I don't know, uh, if you have stories, please tell me what you did with that, that money that you guys got. And it, it is kind of burning, right? You're all week, you're like, I have this 20, how am I going to use it? You know, a couple times I'm with my kids, and we looked in the back and come to go and I'm like, could we pay for them? You know, and then had all these, it was really cool to involve our kids. And today I want to talk about something that I think hopefully has, uh, will encourage you as it's encouraged me, is the promise of peace. In a world that is crazy and broken, and sometimes we need to understand that Jesus came to give peace. So I want to set up the story here, and we're going to be in Isaiah, so if you have a Bible or, or a phone app, you can um, look up Isaiah chapter 9. But before we get to the text, we need to understand where this is going. Remember, a couple years ago, we talked about this, we preached on this, and it's one of my favorite Christmas stories because I feel like it's so relevant. And every time I look into it, God reveals something new. And so, God never failed this time, and He did the same, and I'm excited to share that with you. So this is the time when Israel now was a nation, but... You had King Saul was the first king, David, Solomon, and then after Solomon, things kind of got a little dicey, and Israel was split, the promised land. So 12 tribes made Israel. 10 tribes up to the north created what was Israel, the 
northern kingdom, and then Judah, which was two tribes, where Jerusalem was, was the southern kingdom. So you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and it was Judah, the southern kingdom, in which to promise that God made it, told David that the line, your line, will produce the king, the ultimate king, who we now know as Jesus. So Judah is a southern kingdom, and Israel is a northern kingdom. And there were times where they were sympathetical, and they were happy, and they, and they were, had a good relationship, and there were other times where they fought. They were both Jewish nations, but they had a rivalry going on. So King Ahaz is Judah's king, the southern kingdom's king. And King Ahaz was not someone who trusted in the Lord. And King Ahaz heard a rumor that the northern kingdom, King Ezrin, was teaming up with another nation, Aaron. You guys follow me? And these two nations said, we're going to go down to King Ahaz and we're going to dethrone him and put our own king there. God told David years before that if your descendants, whoever is on the throne, trust in me, he will never be dethroned. And that was a promise made. And Ahaz didn't receive that promise and so he thought, well, I'm seeing two kingdoms coming at me. I need to do something about this. So he went to a bigger nation, the Assyrians, and these guys were nasty dudes. And he paid them money, took it out of God's temple, gold and silver, and gave it to the Assyrians to pay them for protection. And that's the setup that these two kingdoms are coming after Ahaz. And he's got this side deal with Assyria, not trusting in God, actually taking the money from God and giving it to Assyrians, and here we are. And a man named Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet who would tell, uh, who would be God's instrument to speak for God, what was going on and what was going to happen, and he sees Ahaz, and he kind of says, what are you doing? He's like, I know that you've taken money and paid someone else, and then he starts reminding him of the promise. If you trust in God, you will not be dethroned. And he gets, in Isaiah 7, he gives this prophecy. Because there is going to be a child who's been given of a virgin birth. And he starts prophesying on who Jesus was. That there is a line, there is a promise for you if you trust in God. And then he goes on and he starts to prophesy of what Jesus is going to be like hundreds of years before. Jesus comes on the scene. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, this is where we'll begin. And, and in Hebrew, just so you know, the tenses are a little wonky. The future, past, and present tense are not what they are in English. So you have to kind of look for identifiers to understand, is he talking about the future? So he is kind of talking about the future when he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen, or will have seen, will see a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. On them a light has shone. Jumping to verse 6. For to us a child is born, or will be born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with 
justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your peace. Lord, help set our minds and our hearts straight in the season, knowing that you have come and with it you have brought peace in a world that seems so unpeaceful right now. Help us to have a perspective change of what that means. Lord, speak to us right now in this very room. To your name we pray. Amen. I know I use my kids a lot in certain analogies, but it's just so relevant because I just believe that as a child of God, how I feel as a father is how God feels about me. So oftentimes in the Bauer household, we will have fights. I don't know if you guys are in families that don't fight, but that's not our family. And usually they stem from really small things. And so I'll give you a for instance. Emmy, my eight-year-old, will come and say, hey, Dad, can I have a snack? I mean, a very um, responsible question. There's nothing wrong with the question, and I will not respond. Emmy, thanks for asking, but we're going to have dinner in a little bit, so why don't we hold off on snacks? Pretty reasonable response, wouldn't you think? Somehow, that interaction turns into a huge fight. But I want a snack now. Well, you can't have a snack now. You're the worst dad. No, I'm not. And then it gets escalated. And then finally, I say, Emmy, you need to go into your room. You need just to get out of my sight. Truth be told, the girls' room, we had to lock on the outside. So we were literally in, in just here we out here. We could lock them in their room. But we found out that they would actually lock each other in their rooms if we had to. So now the lock is on the inside, not on the outside. But that's how we would operate because if you just need to go away, you need some time, we need to be absent from each other. And she would go in her room, I would go somewhere else, and I would take a deep breath. Even though it is quiet, even though the conflict at that time is not present, guess what? You know what else is not present? Peace. I still am not feeling a sense of peace. My daughter and I have a broken relationship, and even though we're not screaming at each other like we were, there's still this unrestlessness. You understand? Have you felt like that before? So then I go to a room and I sit down on bed. Sometimes it's easier than other times, and we start talking. And then finally, Finally, our relationship is restored. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me for this, forgive me for that. Now, peace is now present. See, I think so many of us think that peace is from the 1960s when we say, make love, not war, and we go around with a peace sign, and we just think if we could just stop fighting, then we would be at peace. But there's more to it. If you look at the Hebrew word shalom, it's not just an absence of conflict, it's a restoration of a relationship. True peace comes when the two sides that are in conflict have now come together and they have ceased fighting, but they are actually working together. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. So when we read Isaiah, he says a prince of shalom which is translated as complete or whole. It takes what's missing and he makes it whole. They don't just stop fighting, but the two kingdoms would come together and now they would say, how
work together to be one. That's true peace. The Greek word is rene. A rene is referred to really as Jesus. Jesus who restored the wholeness. Jesus made peace by messed up humans and God. He restored the relationship between us. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, this is what Paul says. For he, for Jesus himself, is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. So could we come with a different mindset that peace is not the absence of something, it's actually the presence of someone, and that is Jesus Christ. Last Monday, our two-year-old got tubes in his ear. And minor surgery, I wouldn't even call it a surgery, five minutes laughing gas in and out, got there at 6.30 in the morning, and Kate tells me that um, he, the nurse came and said, hey, your, your son's awake. She opens the door, and all she heard was screaming. If you were walking in Newburyport on Monday morning and heard screaming, it was a dream. <laughs> he woke up from anesthesia, didn't know where he was, he was probably sore from his ears being messed with, he was in a different place, and he was going ballistic. So Kate goes and runs over and picks him up, and after about a minute or so, he calms down. Nothing changed in the situation other than the presence of his mother. And this is the same thing for us. That peace comes when we understand that Jesus is present, Emmanuel, God is with us. It's not just the absence of conflict or the absence of something, it's the presence of someone, and that is Jesus Christ. But you look at Ahaz, and he didn't recognize the presence of God in his life. And I gotta be honest, Ahaz is a bad rap. I relate to him as a leader, and maybe you're a leader in your work or in your household, maybe you can understand. If you are seeing an army coming at you as a good leader, you're gonna try to figure it out. What can I do to avoid being taken over? from an outnumbered army. I'm going to go to this here. So I'm going to do it. So I think that. He didn't trust in God then, and the reason is because he never had trusted in God. This is how Ahaz is introduced in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 2, unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, and he even sacrificed his son in the fire. He took his son, and he sacrificed him to pagan gods. He, was a, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, is what another verse says. So Ahaz never had a foundation of trusting in God. This is why I think it's so important, parents, listen up. This is why I think it's so important that we can teach our kids at this age to have a foundation on trusting in God. Because you may think, well, they have it easy right now. There's going to be a time where your faith will be tested. Like the parable that Jesus said about the builder who built on a rock and on the sand. They both built houses, and for a time, they were both happy living in their house. And it said, until when the storm came, when the test 
just came, the house built on the sand crumbled and the one on the rock stood destroyed. The question for you is what foundation are you building your kids' faith on? So when they can trust in God now, they can look back when things come in and then now and say, you know what, I trusted God then, this is what I'm trained to do because I've seen God, we've been reminded of who God is and how he's worked in my life and if I trust in God then, I'll trust in God now because he will be my deliverer, my protector. And you look at Ahaz and he's in this pursuit of peace. Ahaz, it's a, it takes a bold move to steal from God and give to another kingdom. Oh! But that's what he did. Because God to him was just some kind of cultural symbol. He was Jewish by culture. And when he was put to the test, he's like, no, 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 I, I can't handle this cultural stuff. I need to up my game. I need to do something. In our pursuit of peace, the things that you will seek for the now to save you Maybe the things in, in the future that will enslave you. What I mean by this is that the Assyrians did offer protection for the now. But not too long after that, when Ahaz is dead and his son takes over Hezekiah, the Assyrians, after they took over the northern kingdom, they had their eyes set on Judah. And that's for another story of Hezekiah was saved because he did trust in the Lord, but the Assyrians wreaked havoc on them and they fought them. The things in your life that you seek to save you now may be the things that will slave you later. For, for instance, we believe that if I can just get this, if I can just do this, then I will receive peace. I will achieve peace in my life. All I need is a little bit more money. All I need is a little bit more happiness. All I need is a little bit more of this. All I need is a little bit bigger house. All I need is a little bit better car. All I need is a little bit of better health. All these things. And when I get those things, then I will be peaceful. And so we are on a pursuit for peace. But as you know, that some of the times when you receive those things, that new job, that new house, whatever it is, that new relationship, you will eventually become a slave to it. And now you're now you're enslaved to the thing that you used to save you. And I know you all got your stories. Well, I thought this would make things better, but what is happening is it's actually making things worse. Now I have this, and now I have to maintain this, and now I have to do this. I was lonely, and I thought a relationship, but that wasn't the right relationship because I was impatient. And now I'm stuck in this relationship, and it's enslaving me. That I used in the beginning to save me. And what we do is we try to achieve peace by all these things. And I want you guys to understand that peace is not achieved, peace is received. Ahaz tried to achieve it by saying, God, I'm not going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in other things of the world, and I'm going to achieve my own peace for my people. But Jesus says this in John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Peace is a gift. Do you receive it? Jesus is our peace. It's not something that you can receive, achieve. It's not something you can achieve, but it's something that you receive. 
And I think if we have this mindset, it will change how we operate. If you trust in Him, He will give you peace. Isaiah chapter 26 says this, You will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you, that you is God. God will keep Him in perfect peace. God will give you not just peace, but perfect peace, if your mind is on Him, and if you trust in Him. And that's how we receive peace. But i got to be honest. And maybe it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Amen? I think a lot of us are, well, you know what? I just want to receive it. And, and I want to dive into this a little bit more. Because I think sometimes it's really hard to receive the peace that God has given us. It's really hard, like Ahaz. Things seem to too big that we feel like we need to do something drastically. And that's not to say that we are called, we are called to move, but when we abandon God as Ahaz did, then we've gone too far. But there's times in my life where I'm like, I want peace, I just can't receive it. And this is the line that really stuck out to me in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 2. Now in verse 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them a light has shone. Now, if any of you grew up in the church, you may be thinking, I have heard the shadow of death before. And Isaiah is probably going back to Psalm 23 when David writes this beautiful poem. And he uses the phrase shadow of death. So let's go to Psalm 23 because I think Psalm 23 is a great, great picture of peace and how we can receive it. Psalm 23 is written by David, who was the second king of Israel, the anointed one. The promise of Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come through his line and did. And we read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. When you just picture that, don't you just picture something peaceful? In fact, if you were to Google peaceful, the images, the Google images that would pop up would be just this. Green pastures, brooks, waterfalls. So no different than David, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, he's going to give me this peace. He's going to take me down to green pastures and abide quiet waters. One of my favorite places to go is in the White Mountains and just go to the river right off the King of Angus and just be there. And it just seems so peaceful. And don't you want that feeling? But yeah, we have a hard time receiving the peace. And David addresses it in verse 4. And he says this, Even though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. The idea of shadow of death, which I believe many of us are walking in right now, is hard to understand what David's getting at. As we've been talking about light, I've been thinking about what this means. 
A shadow is something that is blocking you from the light. If you are at the beach and there is a shadow in your way, maybe there's just one pesky cloud, or maybe someone's set up their umbrella next to you and it's so frustrating, it's not that the sun is not there, it's that something is blocking you from seeing and receiving the light. There are times in your life where there are obstacles in your way. And I want to give us three practical things that I believe we can do to receive the light that is blocking us, maybe in your current state right now. One is, is the obstacle removable? Can I remove what's in my way? If you're in, in our house, we have windows, and sometimes there's these, uh, we want sun in our house, what we will do is we will remove the shade. Or you will ask someone, could you just move a little bit? But then there are times when the obstacle is not movable. So when there's obstacles in your way, say, that tree is in my way. I want to get some vitamin C and get some light. And so what do you do? If the, if the thing is not movable, then you move yourself. You get up and you place yourself in a position to receive the light that is shining. So many times we will just sit there in the shadow of death and we'll say, God, this isn't fair. Could you just remove that from me so I can receive your light? Maybe God's saying, no, I need you to keep moving yourself. The light is shining. You just can't see it. So put yourself in a position to receive the light that is shining. And that is hard for people because it takes work. On a practical sense, it could be maybe God's calling you to dive into the Word and to read so you can understand. Maybe God's calling you to be in community. Maybe God's calling you to, to take a step to do this or to, to do that. So ask yourself, God, where am I moving to to receive your light? And the third, sometimes, as what I believe David could be saying, is if you're in a valley or a mountain on both sides, like driving through Franconia Notch, Anytime we go to Franconia Notch, I feel like the weather changes like that. It's perfectly sunny on each side. Actually, we were there this summer, and we were at the lake on the other side, Echo Lake. And I went through Franconia Notch to Lincoln, and in the notch, it was pouring rain. And I called Kate, I'm like, are you okay? I don't have a car. She's like, it's perfectly sunny here. It was only raining in the valley. Why? Because there were mountains on each side that was blocking the light. Sometimes there is an obstacle that is too big to move and too big to move away from. So what I believe God is saying, get your hiking boots on and you start climbing. Because when you get to the top of a mountain, guess what? There are no shadows on top of a mountain. There's nothing there to block the light. I think this is really hard for us because we just say, God, I'm going to stand here in the valley in the shadow of death and you move this mountain. And I believe so many times that God is saying, I need you to hike the mountain. The obstacle is not going to move and you can't move away from it, so you need to move up it in order to receive the light. Because when you get to the top of the mountain, there are no shadows. Connor and Steve and a bunch of us here at Ben Fisher, we went on this big, huge presidential hike. And our lips were chapped the whole time because the sun was glaring because there was nothing blocking the sun. There were no shadows because there were no trees. This is 
Eli and Habakkuk and in Psalms that David and Habakkuk say, I give you feet like a deer. This is a very personal verse to us. And what they are saying is when the mouth is too big to move, you climb. And God is going to give you the feet to climb the mountain. And when you reach the top, there is no shadows in your life. There's no shadows out there that you will receive the light. But this is what David keeps saying in verse 5. He says, You, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This one line, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I always thought was a little obscure. But I was reminded of a story when I was in Kenya years and years ago. We were in Asimara, we were on safari. And we drove up to a pride of lines. There were nine lines. Most of them were lionesses because they do all the hard work. The lion, the big lion is out doing, you know, male body. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> so we go up, and this was back in the day where the rules were a little bit looser. Our driver did break the rule, but off the road, and we were surrounded by lions. And you just, like, felt this power. And like, oh, my goodness. And they would tell us over and over again, if you get out of the car, you will die. And they would tell stories about people who would take pictures, get out of the car, take a picture, and then the lion would maul them. So we were excited. Stay in the car. Keep your hands in the car. Like if you're at a Disney World or an amusement park, everyone keep your feet and your hands inside the ride. Same in Safari. Why? Because lions are dangerous. But then we drove by the line, and I'm not kidding you, it was less than five minutes away where we get to the top of this uh, little hill, and there's this uh, tree on the top, and under the tree was this table that someone had come before us and had perfectly set it with the Maasai Mara bright red, and there was omelets being made, and there was fresh French fresh coffee, fresh fruit, mangoes, everything, and they said, okay, get out. You want us to get out? Yeah, breakfast is served. And, I, and we went to this table and we sat. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, there are no fences between us and what we just saw. And I believe this is exactly what David is getting at. This is what I believe is saying. He has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That even in the midst of the brokenness, Peace can be found. And I believe at this table, it's you and Jesus. You and Jesus are enjoying a meal. And he's saying, I'm with you. And you can be like, do you understand that there are lions everywhere? I said, that's okay. Just eat. There's a pastor I follow, Louis Giglio, and he's in Atlanta. And he just came out with a book. And the book is called, Don't Give the Enemy seat at your table. And what happened was he was a church planner and he was feeling very, very uh, um, angry and disheartened because people in his church were disgruntled about something, I don't know what it was, and hundreds of people left. And so he was thinking, I'm going to call it quits. So he texted his good friend and said, I think church planning and being a pastor is too much, I'm calling it in, I'm done. And he said this friend sent him one line back, and it was this. 
Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. If you watch soccer, you see the defenders get a, a make a wall when there's an indirect or direct kick, when they're in the 18 or near the 18. And there's six, seven, eight guys, and, and they're trying to protect the goal. And what you notice is that the opposing team tries to sneak in and break the wall up. I believe this is what the enemy does in our life. This is what I believe that Louis was getting. It's like, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. This meal is for you and Jesus. Don't give the devil a seat to tell you lies. Then start reminding you, oh, guess what? There are lines around. Oh, guess what? This is too big. Oh, guess what? You can't trust in him. You need to trust in other things. Don't, don't listen to him. And this is what happens when you give the enemy a seat at your table. And if you could say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you, God prepared it. God wants to eat with you in the presence of your enemies. If you've heard all about the Kentucky tornadoes the past couple weeks, devastating what they've done to people's homes and factories. And I saw a, a clip online of a Kentucky man. He walks into his home and the roof had been completely blown off. And everywhere in his house, everything was waterlogged and thrown around. Windows have been blown out. And this video shows this man sitting on the seat of a piano. And he starts playing this old piano that was out of tune, waterlogged, the tornado had just ravished this. And he starts playing in the midst of the brokenness. And he plays an old Bill Gaither song, and it goes like this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Powerful, isn't it? Peace can be received even when the world doesn't seem peaceful. And when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the Prince of Peace coming to Earth. As the band comes up and as we close, let's go to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Verse 8. And it says this After Jesus was born, and there were shepherds living out their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor is. Glory because peace has Will you receive it? In our life right now, there's a time where I feel like I'm in the shadow of a valley, maybe you, and I'm thinking, how do I receive this peace? And how do I have a different angle to receive this peace? For us, shalom doesn't feel like it exists. This completeness, because our family feels very incomplete. I remember the other day, Annie was worried that we would be sad at Christmas. And so, for us not to be sad, she says, Mom, you don't need to be sad because every day for Ellie is Christmas. And I started thinking about that. What does that mean? 
You know a lot of people say to rest in peace. I really don't like that. Because it just means this whole idea that it's an absence of everything. And that can start to get boring over some time. But I believe if true peace is being with Jesus, then my hope is not rest in peace, but it's run in peace. Because there are no shadows in heaven. And we're called to bring heaven to earth. And so we're called not to live in the shadows, but to live in the light. So maybe for you, you need to remove some obstacles. Or maybe you need to move yourself. Or maybe you need to get your hiking boots on and start climbing the mountains. The question is, would you receive the gift of peace today? And would we just take the pressure off from trying to achieve it? And realize that by achieving it, we are on this endless goal that we will never be completely satisfied. We will never have shalom, completeness, wholeness without Jesus Christ. Would you receive it? In Luke 2, verse 17, after the shepherds saw Jesus in the manger, this is what they did. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Not only did they see the light, but they started, started reflecting. I'm going to go tell everybody about what we just saw. Shepherds were second class citizens. They were smelly. They were nomadic. They were untrustworthy. But yet, they saw something in them and people were amazed and they listened to what they had to say. Because something they saw changed them. They saw a light in their eye that said, no, there's something different. Would you do the same? They were the first to proclaim his name. And what Jesus is telling us, would you do the same? Would you say, I have seen the great light, and I want others to experience it too. Come, maybe you got to move with me, or maybe I'll help you get the obstacle, or maybe we'll start climbing, and we'll get to the top of the mountain, and when we get to the mountain, we're going to shout. There's no shadow on top of the mountain, and we're going to go tell everybody who Jesus is and what he's done. That Prince of Peace has come into this world and we can receive it. And when we get to the top of that mountain, would you proclaim his name? Would you shout? And people will see what you've done and they will listen. Because people will say, there's no way you can climb that mountain by yourself. And to that you say, you were right. Because me and Jesus sat down at the table, we had power, and he said, I'm going to bring your shirt on, I'm going to climb with you. So you may receive the light that I freely give. The kids are going to come up and they're going to sing, go and tell them. And that's what we're called to do. Would you pray with me, Lord, we just thank you that you are the light giver. That we don't have to work for it, we don't have to achieve it, that your peace. It's been freely given to us, Lord. So would you help us receive the peace that you've given us? Would you help us climb? Would you help us move? The obstacles or move ourselves? Lord, help us to get out of the shadow. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.